Hey, this is Patrick from the Black Keys. You're listening to WMNF 88.5 Community Radio. This is Walter Elspeth II, the host of the Sunday Forum. Each and every Sunday from 8 to 10 a.m., the Fourth Estate and I do research and have intelligent conversation with each and every one of you. And we love it. We love bringing you the best in radio programming here on WMNF 88.5 Tampa, Sarasota. St. Pete.
You are tuned to WNF Radio 88.5 FM. This is the Sunday Forum, and we're still waiting on Walter L. Smith to come into the building. In the meantime, it's hot. It is scorching hot these days, and I'm understanding that July has been the hottest month in the history of humanity. So... People are no longer talking about the word global warming. We're now talking about global boiling. And that's something that's something to talk about. And uh, we're seeing there's a lot of changes happening in order to respond to it. The consumers of the world, especially inside the United States, are picking up on electric vehicles in order to reduce our carbon footprint but it is getting way too hot and people are having a hard time especially if you are working class person and you can't afford central ac and big mansions then you have to use a fan or find the best way possible to stay comfortable uh keep an eye out for your neighbors keep an eye out especially for the elderly i understand that people are having to keep even their arteries from overheating there's a a dangerous it's a dangerous time when we are living under the prospect of global boiling but this is the sunday forum and uh, there's a lot of things going on we are watching the efforts in uh, africa especially after the summit with Russia's Vladimir Putin who started a war with Ukraine and a lot of our grain on the globe has come from Ukraine and Russia has done what it could to keep that grain from moving there was a deal where a bridge, a road could be used to, despite the war to make certain that grain is going out and African countries have benefited from the grain deal but Putin has uh, threatened to cut, uh, threatened last week to get out of that deal, and he called African nations to a summit. And about half of those African nations showed up for the second summit. Then they did the first summit, uh, and the African leaders have tried to impress upon Putin to end his war with Ukraine and let the grain deal move forward. Uh, but we're watching developments there. Looks like there's a new scramble for Africa as Vladimir Putin tries to pretend as if he's fighting colonialism. And uh, that's why he's engaging with Africa. But at the, at the same time, we recognize there's a mercenary group from Russia, the Wagner Group, who's instrumental in both the Ukraine war, but also <laughs> with coup attempts or even coups military coups on the continent of Africa the latest being in Niger and a lot of people are under the impression that the Wagner group has played a role in that as well but this is a Sunday forum and um, we're not sure where Walter is we're a little concerned I'm a little concerned but somebody's calling you can call me, 813-239-9663. You can talk about global boiling or war on the globe. So 
Give us a call, 813-239-9663. By the way, my name is Patro Mobili, sitting in for the moment for Walter L. Smith II. And uh, maybe we can also turn this conversation closer to home here to Florida. But I'm going to go to the telephone lines just to see what you're shouting out to the Sunday Forum here on your community radio station, 88.5. And we'll go to the telephone straight away. You could also write me, DJ, at WMNF.org. And we could just have us a nice conversation here on this Sunday morning. So I'm going to go and take your telephone calls to see what you have to say about what's going on in the world today. I'll just take a cold call from you. Go ahead, caller. You're on the Sunday Forum. You say what? Hello? Hello? Hey, how you doing? Pretty good. Uh-huh. All right, how are you? I'm not terrible, man. Terrible. What's going on? Hey, man, I'm in the hospital right now. Oh, man, uh, what's going on with you? I got COVID, man. Oh. I told you we had that convention, Cap Alpha Psi convention. Mm-hmm. And there was a major outbreak of COVID. And all the brothers that I know was with got sick. And so what we have is this governor who's been hiding the public health statistics and stuff and has endangered the citizens here. But it was a major outbreak. And the fraternity, Cap Alpha Psi, issued a national letter about it and stuff. So last, and so I, man, um, was it like Tuesday, I started feeling real groggy and stuff like that. Yeah. And so yesterday, I just, I just, I just felt so bad. I ended up here in St. Joe's. They admitted me mm-hmm. and stuff. And uh, I'm going to tell you, this thing is real. We got this. I mean, how many more lies do we have to see from this governor? who sits there and lies about the pandemic and says that it's going away. It hasn't gone away. Right. And the thing that's so treacherous is that the, all the capitalists are noobs that I know that got this. I mean, we're talking about the, in the hospital here, so there's at least 70 outbreaks from that one convention. That's what the hospital, but they're not able to report it out because the governor is blocking mm-hmm. this, uh, this, this stuff. And so what happens is the disease is, is remain allowed to go rampant. And the real danger here is that the people that I know, again, have all been vaccinated, which tells you that the characteristics of this virus is changed. I mean, if you've got people who are now vaccinated, now coming down with the disease, then that means that the disease itself is attenuated and, are we going to say, mutated. <laughs> and it's virulency. It's more virulent. Remember, these guys had guys who had to fly back. One guy uh, uh, went back to Atlanta. He got sick. He took care of his 91-year-old mother. You know? Yeah. And, again, we need to be conscious of this. And these are the same consistent lies when we get up here that this governor has perpetuated and saying that slavery was a good thing. You know, and when when, when we know doggone well, they used to feel... Feed alligator bait. These uh, black babies to be alligator bait, but slavery was a good thing, and that sort of thing. And this guy has done nothing but adopt the 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 the, the, the playbook of the of the Bantu Education Act. When it's talking about get woke, get woke means anti-black. That's what it means. It's 
game bowls and stuff like that. We don't have to put up with this foolishness and move to some place though. But this governor is whole this governor is nothing but no better than Heinrich Bervorn. People need to read about him. Uh and and P. W. Bofa and stuff. Yeah. Apartheid state as well. And read message from DeSantisburg. I mean I, I told people from that message a year a month ago that there were problems there. And now everything I seem to have written is coming true, and the message from the great state of DeSantisburg, and it comes true that America's past, America's America's future is now South Africa's past, and that's what's happening here in the state. And I'm telling you, brother, this this disease ain't going away. They're still and trying to politicize it as well, and and right. you're right that there's a lot of cases have been there's been ticking up in that original. That original coronavirus is an ancestor. It has mutated quite a bit, and a lot of people are finding that uh, they're going to these events, uh, and we're finding in a lot of communities in wastewater a lot of right. COVID cases ticking back up in communities, and governors are in denial. The governor has just been inactive, done nothing to check the spread of, the, of, of, of this disease. And the danger, again, is that when you do nothing and sit there, stay, put your head in the sand and be in a state of denial and talk about freaky black guys playing basketball and all that foolishness and promote all that kind of foolishness and stuff, this disease allows itself to mutate or attenuate even and become even more virulent. And remember this thing, these guys came from all over the world, the Cap Alpha side, all over the world to this convention here in Tampa. And there was warning that we were not going to come but they decided to come because they couldn't get the vendors and it's not the fault of the local chapter it's the fault that the governor has done everything he can to suppress suppress the uh the, the spread of this disease here in uh in in this country in this in this state and i'm telling you brother i'm one of them but i can tell you from first-hand experience man that that this, and i'm a pharmacist and a dentist all right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I should know something about diseases and disease states and those sort of thing, man. And this governor is a dangerous to society. You can imagine what this guy would be like if he was a president of the United States. This guy is nothing but a little vervoid or not a little vervoid, but this guy is dangerous. And we need to expose him. And one of the things we need to do is bring economic sanctions against him. All these attorneys sororities need to cancel their any event that they have in this state, including the NCA and other things. And maybe maybe people will, and get the get the word out of there. There was a there is a major outbreak here. And when I knew that they, that every brother that I was in contact with, every last one of them, except maybe one or uh, nearly everyone, but one or two came down with the COVID and stuff. And all of us were back. That's all I have to say, brother. Just, 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 I'm in St. Joe's Hospital here, man. Okay. Yeah, so it's going to be like, uh, it's going to be like the flu vaccine. People should look at getting a booster every year. Yep. Get the booster. And even then, but if you, if you have a careless governor that sits around here and denies that this uh, even exists or even prevents, even got a public health of, uh, a Florida public health guy is trying to stop people from getting the the uh, the the boosters and eliminate the uh, the the the, uh, the the COVID vaccine and stuff. 
I mean, what kind of insanity is that? It's like looking, you know, think about it. Smallpox letting it spread. You know, we are a, a, a country that prides herself, that is taking, that, that leads the way in terms of medicine, in, 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 in diseases, in, 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 in the disease states. Think about Ebola. But yeah. that, that, when it came around, how Mr. Obama went right there to the source and put a stop to it. And then think about how this thing started. Even we had clear warnings that it happened. This administration, the, the, the last administration chose to do nothing, and it spread, and it spread. And now they want to hold their hands and blame it, blame it on everyone else. And then you got this ignorant, this ignoramus governor that we have here, this treacherous piece of beef tripe coming around here, exposing the citizens of this world, the people who come to Florida, to, 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 the, to, to the disease and not doing a doggone thing to, to, track, about, to track about. I want people to know this thing is out here, it is real. And one way you can do is let the media know that there's a there was an out there is an outbreak it was an outbreak here in Tampa and we were at the FW Marriott we were at the, the Marriott it was eight thousand brothers of Cap Alpha side there and think about what happens when they get back home flew back home drove back home and stuff what happened how far spread this disease is is is, is now spreading through our our society and we got a governor in a state of denial. Thank you for your shameful. Thank you for your calling. I want you to get better, Doc. Hurry up and get better. Right. We need you. We need your insights. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Walter is in the house. Walter, welcome to the Sunday Forum. You just heard the sad news. Doc is under the weather right now, and uh, we're waiting, you know, to see, how, you know, what the numbers are going to be. Um, we just need people to get serious about everything, including pandemics, including global warming, global boiling now, and uh, warfare. Welcome, Walter. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Yes. <sighs> so, man, l- let me let me just say that uh, Doc, get better. Uh, we're praying for you. We're pulling for you. And we're pulling for everybody out there that is ill as well um, with this illness. Uh, yeah. we, we've seen, you know, I, I'm not going to beat a dead horse about it. Um, we've seen what has happened. We've seen what's happening. Um, and we've seen how this administration has handled things. And, you know, people can argue whatever they want to argue. Um, it, it was handled poorly. There was too much muddy water, too much uh, bad information mixed with good information uh, that caused a lot of deaths. You must have a logistical method of dealing with this type of thing. This is a disaster. When I say disaster, I mean literally it is a disaster. It's a health disaster. And, uh, and and there's no other there's no other way to describe it. It's all about taking preventative measures. I mean, we're talking about c- conventions, and you know, for political reasons, conventions have already started. You know, boycotting this state. But right. when you have alpha. yeah, when you have public health 
issues raging in a state, in a community, we have to take preventative measures. That's right. Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated uh, has determined that it is not going to come here for its conclave this year uh, as it had planned on doing. And I suspect we're going to have others pull out as well. Um, I know that my fraternity, Omega Psi Phi Fraternity Incorporated, uh, has not pulled out yet. Uh, we don't know what that's going to be, but our, our conclave is not until next year. And it will be, it's, it's scheduled to be here in Tampa. So I don't know how that's going to turn out. Uh, the official word has not, not, not come down from our grand boss list yet. But what I will say is that, um, you know, this is, there's a lot to unpack. There's a lot to unpack regarding this uh, demagogue, this uh, person that we call a governor. Well, we had one emailer that emailed and said they agree with the first caller, uh, saying that adding that this quote-unquote pro-life governor is about to execute the fifth prisoner of the year. The death penalty must be abolished. Now, we're going to, that's, uh, that's, uh, that's, there's a lot of room for disagreement on that. Uh, because there was a, you know, what about the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas shooter? You know, this kid, you know, a jury got him off. And it's, it's made this demagogue say, now we don't need all 12 juries to agree on a death penalty case. That's crazy. <laughs> That's insane. You have somebody's life hanging in the balance, and then the discussion has now turned to not having all a unanimous decision right. on death penalty. On death, that's that's crazy. That's insanity. So more of a reason not to have a death penalty. Right. I mean that that's 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 insane. Absolutely. Insane. That's demagoguery. Absolutely. We have a caller here let's on the Sunday to, floor. Let's go to the calls. Go ahead, caller. You're on the Sunday Four. Hello, my friends. How are you this morning? All right. How are you? I am good because you guys are on the air. <laughs> so uh, it's crazy what we're seeing. It's almost when I see people of color, and remember, I'm an old white guy. I often say to them in Pinellas, does this remind you of the movie Get Out? And they always laugh and say, gosh, you're right. And that's just part of it. I love Jordan Peele's movies, especially Get Out. So political, so symbolic, incredible. But if you remember last week, I, I recommended you guys maybe start blogging on this Daily Cause, K-O-S, progressive site. Now I'm not so sure. And it goes to a question I have that I hope will provoke a lively discussion, which is the difference between MLK and Malcolm X, especially in the early days of both of them, about how you fight back against people who are murderers and monsters. Violence or nonviolence, when, how long does turning the other cheek go? On Daily Cause, about a month ago, there was a purge of people who had the sensibility of having been victimized and oppressed systemically and personally. There were a lot of African-American bloggers on that group blog site, 
which reaches like two million people a month. And they were breathing fire and saying, DeSantis is saying to us, black people, that we should have been slaves and that we should be grateful for it. And he also is saying to women in Florida that they should be slavery to gestation, rape, and incest. And we're not going to make nice. We're not going to fight back by they go low, we go high. We're going to fight back, as Malcolm said, by any means necessary. And you should have seen the reaction from what I call the white privilege, safety privilege part of the progressive community, which turned out to be the majority on that site, saying, oh, no, we should never use violence. Then we're like them. We should never even dehumanize them by calling them maggots and monsters and Nazis. It could hurt their feelings, and maybe they will turn them off. And the people who have the what I consider to be the, the, the proper attitude of self-defense and recognizing that you can't go high when the people you're fighting are willing to cut your head off right away, then they purge all of those black voices from that site by using the rules of the site about not having inflammatory language, not saying that you have to fight fire with fire, not saying that you only have two cheeks and after you've turned both of them, it's time to, it's time to fight back. So I got to ask you, we're, we're stuck here. And even though I'm an old white guy, you know, I can't stand it here anymore. My neighbors are all Trumpers. They still even have Trump flags up, even after it's been proven, obviously, that he's a traitor for Putin and every other way. And I just don't know how to deal with these people pleasantly. And I'm afraid of them. And then I feel like I'm afraid of them because I'm not willing to fight back. But then I think if I fight back, then am I becoming a violent jerk like they are? So you guys, what do you think about these kinds of topics? And you know, at the end, Martin said that he was beginning to understand why Malcolm believes that 100% nonviolence wasn't the only right strategy. Right, right. So I'll, I'll shut up and get off of here, but you guys continue to be the best show on MNF, mainly because you have a truly defiant attitude against the fascist, loser, racist, jerk, traitors, because you have the experience of being black men and knowing that this isn't a thing that can be dealt with just by voting, especially in a rigged state like Florida, and because you allow callers to say what they feel without hurting them off and laughing at them and saying that they shouldn't be so extreme, which happens on other MNF shows when people say the same things I'm saying right now. So I'll shut up and thank you again for being who you are. Thank, thank you very much, brother. Uh, <clears throat> we, we appreciate that. Um, those words and the viewpoints that you've expressed. Uh, let, let me just say... Uh, Okay, unequivocally, unequivocally, I am a follower of. I fall more in line with the with Malcolm X <laughs> with regard to the these uh, things that have happened, and, and 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 you have to, you have to. Um, the concept of nonviolence, um, and, and I want to give a perspective of this 
and and hopefully people will will um, research it and really understand why um, the the dynamics of the nonviolence movement, right? Um, there are several perspectives about the nonviolence movement, um, and, and and when you look back at its history, not just in America, but in uh, but abroad, the you, you the, the you know we're taught that uh, that Dr. King's understanding of the nonviolence movement was based on uh, Gandhi's movement that was put into play in the early 1900s. And what people in, in, in the late, the early 19, the, the early um, uh, 1900s and late 1800s, I think that when you, when you look at the, um, the dynamics of what was happening and where it took place, you'll see a very different outcome for a very real reason. One of the reasons that Gandhi's that Gandhi's uh, nonviolent efforts were successful was because it took place primarily on the Indian subcontinent. Let me repeat that. Um, on the Indian subcontinent. Now, what does that mean? Did he go to South Africa? Yes, he was in South Africa for a time. Uh, but it wasn't, it was successful from the standpoint he was able to get the the um, nonviolent movement going amongst the people that were there. And of course, nonviolence just was not going to work in that situation as well as he had hoped. Primarily because of the population, the numbers, and the, the amount of violence that was happening. You're looking at, at, at a situation where annihilating, uh, annihilating that small number would, would have been easy to do. Would have been easy to do. When you look at what happened in India and the dynamics of what happened in India, you're talking about a predominant Indian population in their land of origin and this same concept being implemented there. Totally different ballgame. Totally different ballgame. And so the results were very different. Now, when you look at the at what and let's and let's look at the that results, right? Uh Mobili, the results were number one, you had a you had the the uh expulsion, if you will, of the British Empire from India and Indians India's independence. Uh then you had the numbers of people who were uh, killed in that process, right? Uh, 
you know, you that that's an overwhelming number. You're not going to eliminate an entire subcontinent of people. That's just not going to happen. Uh, the British were incapable of doing that. And what ultimately happened was not so much a matter of of the British thinking that well this is not going to work um, because these Indians are going to get mad at us and they're going to jump us and they're going to eliminate us. No, it worked because of the fact that there was a, there was the concept of um, the belief in man's humanity. That's what that's one of Gandhi's main thing. He believed that sooner or later, the humane part of of people's of white people's nature was going to come into play, and the world would see the violence that they were perpetrating on the people of India and the destabilization that they had, that they had caused in India. And they would, they would be shamed, right? <clears throat> Only part of that worked. <laughs> let's, just be, let's be real about it. Only part of that worked, right? Um, let's also keep it, keep it 100. Gandhi was also a racist. Now, now that, that's an undeniable fact, an undeniable fact. He did not like black people. And when when it was suggested that he, for instance, in one instance that took place uh, on a train car, on on a, on a yeah on a train car, he was told that he needed to go back with the with the blacks, and he uh, refused. When later questioned about it or asked about it, he referred to black people as being um, less than human. Less than human. I, I believe. I believe the term he used was dogs. I think the term was dogs. Um, but if I, I, we're going to look that back up. So I used to know this by heart, but I can't remember the, the the actual reference. Now, let's fast forward. Let's fast forward. And let's look at what happened to us here in the United States. Kings, again, King's basis uh, for nonviolence is always attributed to Gandhi. Now, in, in, the, in Gandhi's movement. Now, uh, I think that, I don't know whether or not he knew that these things happened. I have no idea. We do. We know they happened the more. Let's put that to the side, though. And let's look at the logistics of the actual movement, okay? So let's, look, let's take that, that part out and look specifically at the movement. The reason that that did not work here in the, in, in the way that... Uh, that that Gandhi's effort worked is number one. This is not our land. This, let me say this again. This is not our land. The dynamics are completely different. Our numbers, in terms of the black community and the numbers of black people in the United States at that time, were very small. Our population was small. And it was primarily focused on the southern states initially. 
Okay, nonviolence movement was primarily focused on southern states initially, and then was what the effort was to move it to other states as well, and in hopes that it would work. Now, let me tell you, did it have popularity? Yes, it did. Um, was was when I say popularity, I mean knowledge that it existed. In the northern states, it was not popular. In the northern states, it was not popular because those people moved from the southern states because of the violence that was going on, and they were tired of being beaten up on. Their attitude was a lot like Malcolm's because Malcolm's attitude was, you are not going to put another hand on me. If you put your hands on me, I'm going to break it. Right? I'm going to fight back. Okay? In the South... There were we are we were the predominant numbers in the South in terms of our uh, in terms of how many you know where black people are located in the United States, but when you look at the actual uh, movement itself, it is not like it was in the Indian subcontinent. There was no need for for these Southern whites to take on some um, some niceness uh, some sort of nicety. Uh, a benevolent act with us at all. Look at how long it took for them to even do it. Look at how long it took, and look at what it took to happen. I remind you that in 1963, what what it took for that civil rights bill to be signed was, in fact, the death of a white man. And the knowledge that it was a white man that was shot and killed by highway patrolmen. When trying to cross, when, when they crossed the Edmund Pettus Bridge, this happened. Now, th- that's an undeniable fact. Undeniable fact. And the world saw it. The world saw the violence that was going on to these people. And while they while they were saying, "Oh wow, this is bad," nobody did anything. You know, there, there's a question as to whether or not there was a question as to whether or not, you know, this was even worth looking at because we somehow deserved it. Why? Because we ought not to be fighting like this, causing destabilization, right? Causing we so we we were the cause of destabilization. <laughs> We were the cause of destabilization in the South, really. No, they just didn't want black people engaging in civil disobedience. And that's ex- really all that King was getting from Gandhi. Um, was yeah. his methods of civil disobedience. Right. And, and his method was, that we were not. you can hit me, you can bludgeon me, you can beat me, but I am not going to, you cannot take my humanity. Right. You cannot take my humanity. And while and while that while that that's a great Christian concept, as a Christian man, that is a wonderful Christian concept. <laughs> but I, I'm sorry, I don't have the type of endurance for you to hit me upside my head, and I not knock you out. Man. I just I just don't I don't have that type of endurance. I'm sorry, and 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 that's me personally. But the realities are. The reason that that was that that um, when you look at at that dynamic, there was a far greater success piece as far as that's concerned, because uh, even though Gandhi was assassinated, and even though it was a cult of personality from one perspective, the actual concept 
carried on and permeated around the Indian subcontinent. Despite the fact that there was war between Pakistan and India, despite all that, there was a general respect for Gandhi's efforts. And when Gandhi went into his, um, what do you call it, uh, starvation, starvation protest, um, you know, that was, that was not, um, that, that was very successful. It was very successful because the whole nation respected that. The whole nation saw that, and the whole nation wanted to, wanted to do differently and act differently because they saw him as a father figure. Right. Right. I mean, when he was okay, when he was in his twenties, yeah, he said a lot of racist stuff and a lot of. Oh, yeah. I mean, who didn't in their twenties? <laughs> you know, by the time he got in his seventies, Gandhi was an anti-racist. You know, he says a pretty egregious stuff in his twenties, but by the time he was seventy, and even on on the question of gender discrimination, you know, it, it, he was famously celibate, but he slept in the bed with his grandniece. He said to test his uh, his willpower. Or whatever, but you know, by his seventies, he was championing women in politics, and uh, he was a poor. You know, those racist comments were considered abhorrent, even by him that he mentioned earlier in his life. So, but I believe that when we when we talk about violence and nonviolence politically, I think you know you look at India for one is is one thing, one arena. The North. In the United States is another arena. Uh, mm-hmm. The South is quite a different arena. <laughs> and the South engaged, whites engaged in intimidation, in fear. That had become their modus operandi ever since the Civil War. I mean, the violence that went on during Reconstruction was horrendous. You know, I, that's probably why they don't want to teach it, you know. But, you know, it was horrendous at the time, and that went on. You look at 1920, that was just over 100 years ago. That was a lot of racist violence in this country, and I believe that the, the racists get a lot of their excitement from fiction. You know, they watch, I, in the 20s, what was it, The Birth of a Nation. Birth of a Nation, that's You right. know, we had Timothy McVeigh, Blowing up the federal building because he had read the Turner Diaries, a book of fiction. You know that these white racists would like to see come true, and I think this is why you get people, politicians like DeSantis and 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 Trump, a uh, forty-five, and because it gives them a vision of what a racist leader and what his policies would look like. Right. Exactly. So, I mean, so in the, in the Mississippi arena, in the southern arena, black people had to fight back. There were times where, you know, th- there's a book that I've been reading called We Will Shoot Back, <laughs> written by Akinyele Umoja, who, uh, this is a true story, talking about how in Mississippi, during the freedom, Mississippi Freedom Movement, black people had to arm themselves because they were facing a policy and a people, a white people who were engaged, deeply engaged in intimidation. Yeah. Extreme violence. Yeah. Extreme violence. And this same attitude uh, permeated throughout the United States in in, uh, various areas. Uh, I mean, look at what happened in California, right? Um, You're not going to get, you you know, when the police uh, doing the type of things that they were doing in California, you know, 
sooner or later, that's going to get really bad. Mm -hmm. And so what the bottom line is, you know, I guess the question would be, which is more successful and where do we fall? Bottom line is, um, after after King died, after King was assassinated, what ended up happening was because of his, because of the, the again, the, I go back to the cult of personality with movements, right? Because of, let's, let's go back to what happened before, just before he died, maybe five years, right? Um, somewhere around the time of the Edmund Pettus uh, incidents, uh, there was a young man by the name of Stokely Carmichael. And uh, James Lee, I believe his name was. But bottom line was these people were the, were the impetus for what would become the black power movement. When we hear black power the first time, when we hear it the first time, people think they hear it from Stokely Carmichael the first time. And that's not true. No. The first time you actually hear it, it's from Dr. King. Mm-hmm. It's from Dr. King. And, or at least, or at the very least, you, you do, he, he, he talks about it in an interview. And he talks about what it means. And it has the same essence of what was being spoken by Stokely Carmichael, except for one thing. Carmichael was very explicit in saying, you, you hit me, you, we are going to allow you to keep hitting us upside our head. You hit me, I'm going to hit you back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there was, there was the birth, if you will, of the change of the Southern attitude uh, pre- that, that prevailed ultimately uh, with regard to this issue of holding hands and we shall overcome and the peace that we well, saw, you know, under, mass under marches were something that the the planters had been leading already, long before the big civil rights marches. We were seeing yep. mass marches in major cities around this country throughout the 1960s. You know, places like Cairo, Illinois. You know, you know, Newport News, Virginia. We were seeing uprisings in places like New York. You know, there were it was constant in the. Panthers were giving those revered speeches during that time. So this is long before the mass marches of the civil rights movement. Oh, certainly, certainly, certainly. So, uh, you know, I, 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 <laughs> I can tell you right now, my father, who was a follower of King, was not one, truthfully, who was going to sit there and let somebody bust him upside the head. Now, that was just not going to happen. And he... He as much as told me that that wasn't going to happen. His actions were were that uh, while he believed in the non in the nonviolence movement, uh, my dad was not going to sit back and let somebody hit him upside the head. And there are instances even in, during the marches of people you can see the video. I mean, it's right there uh, where people actually you know would sit there and let them shoot him with the fire hose for a little bit. But after a while, you you know you saw him fight back. You saw it, right? I mean, am I right with Bill? Oh, you yeah. saw it. I mean, video doesn't lie. Sometimes you just gotta fight back. I yeah, mean, you gotta fight back. I'm not gonna let you do that. That's crazy. Well, this discussion has really fired up the the listeners. Uh, we got an email. Um, one emailer said, "People under occupation have a right under international laws 
to armed struggle against occupiers. Absolutely. And a real person. It's intelligence. That, well, that's what Malcolm was arguing. Malcolm wasn't arguing, go out and just start shooting. Malcolm no. said self-defense was intelligence. No, so, absolutely. Perfect word. But a real person wrote that, uh, well, he's, he's giving you some shout-outs. Uh, he's saying the way that the two of us have dis- dissected history regarding nonviolence and violence and how to resist the racist is very high level. Thank you, call, uh, emailer. <laughs> <laughs> he said, like in a college class, a class that would be banned in Florida, of course. Yeah, yeah. As a matter of fact, I don't, let me share this with you. Um, we're taking our time because we're trying to get things uh, ready for the fall and things like that, but and we're going to be undergoing renovations soon. Uh, while you don't see any action right now at the Dr. Walter L. Smith Library, uh, the plans are being made. So, you know, it's the calm before the storm, if you will. <laughs> uh, I am going to begin to do, I'm putting together a group of us who are um, uh, professor-level uh, teachers to be able to to uh, have people write about these things, share their thoughts about these historical events uh, and these perspectives. And we're going to talk about these issues in and have um, discussion courses where we will be able to really get an understanding and perspective of these things. So we want to thank you for that for that that observation because we will be using that that uh, that approach in order to really get a, an understanding. And none of this nonsense that we're seeing, for instance, um, of, what do you call it, uh, revisionist. Oh, no. Revisionist history. That's that that on both sides. Yeah, yeah, let me tell you. We get that on, you know, that happens on both sides. And I hate to say that, but it's the truth. Uh, because I, I don't like to see, I hate, I hate, I hate, to see black historians or people who are who profess to be historians, black historians, to turn around and revise history, so to speak, or, or just lie <laughs> about what about things that happened in our history. No, like for instance, one thing I always say this: stop telling people that George Washington Carver invented peanut butter. He did not invent <laughs> peanut butter, guys. He did not. However. He did save, and it's a fact. He did save the the uh, the Americas, uh, uh, United States of America's agricultural economy. He did, in fact, do that. Okay, during the time of the Dust Bowl, uh, we thought we were doomed, and that man, and and they thought they were doomed, and that man taught white people literally how to alternate crops properly, in order to be able to. Uh, keep the nutrients in the soils that they were losing at, uh, uh, during the Dust Bowl. And this is something that was that people tend to overlook about him. He was a very powerful uh, man, very powerful man. And so, but, so we don't need to lie about what he did in order to say that he was powerful. I just think some people weren't listening to the whole lesson. Carver discovered more than 300 uses for peanuts, peanuts exactly. and hundreds more uses for soybeans, pecans, and sweet potatoes. potatoes. Exactly. Uh, take, a, take a look. If you don't know much about them, you can always go to the Black Archives in Tallahassee on the campus of Florida a University. It's a one-of-a-kind uh, one museum uh, that is there. There isn't another one like it anywhere uh, 
in the United States, I say, outside of what's in Washington, D.C., and uh, and certainly not one on, on, a, on a historically black campus. There is not one at all. FAMU's the only one that has one. Wow. At all. Uh, so, you know, if you are from the state of Florida, if you're not from the state of Florida, go and visit the campus of Florida a University and go to the Black Archives. You will have a true experience if you cannot make it to D.C. We it's need a bus ride. We need yeah. a bus ride, both to Tallahassee and D.C. Yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. We sure do. Uh, let's see, where are we? It is down 58 minutes, 58 minutes past the hour, going into the NPR uh, break in just a few minutes. Folks, when we come back, we're going to have a serious conversation about, about uh, the implications of what we're seeing in Africa right now regarding uh, their relationship with Russia and uh, other European nations. We're going we're gonna to talk about that. And we're also going to talk about the relationship with uh, the United States to Africa as well. And what is its importance to us here, right here in the Tampa Bay area? There is a connection. And when we come back, we'll discuss it right here on the Sunday Forum. This is your host, Walter L. Smith II, along with my main man, Mobilia, the fourth estate crew. We'll be right back. WMNF Tampa 